Lord, I just, I thank you for, first of all, I want to thank you for Matthew, Lord. And uh, I thank you, God, that he knows that you've touched him. He said it. And so, God, we just give you glory for that. And we pray that you'd be glorified in that young man's life and his family. Um, we pray, Lord, for uh, their salvations and uh, just for his continued healing, Lord. And we pray your blessing upon him. We pray, God, that as uh, he goes to GF Strong, that you would just continue to, to heal him quickly, Lord. And we pray your blessing upon him. I thank you, God, that we could just gather around your word this morning. It's the authority. We are not. And uh, we thank you, Lord, that, that you want to speak to us through your word. And so, God, we ask that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear the wonderful things that are in your law. We ask, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would just take the written word and apply it to our lives and lead us to the living word, Jesus Christ, this morning. And we ask your blessing upon this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Do you guys want the AC on still? Yes? Off? Off. Can we flick that off? Blake, can I get you to do that? It's just the auto switch by Michelle there on the top. Awesome. We can make this place a deep freeze if we want to, even on a hot summer day. It's awesome. So, uh, yeah, if you're in your Bibles, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, it's been a couple weeks since we've been in our series in 1 Corinthians, and, and some of Paul's teaching in the middle of this book has not been for the faint of heart. Um, and so I'm sure, I, I was told, yeah, it's nice to have a break uh, from where we've been at in Corinthians, and, and it, it was nice, I agree. So, but it's, it's great stuff that we've been touching on and important matters to discuss in in the first uh, 24 verses of chapter 7, where we were a couple weeks back, um, I called that message, Bloom Where You're Planted. And we saw Paul address issues around, uh, surrounding uh, marriage and sexuality and sex within the context of marriage. And really, um, that's going to continue but change a little bit here in chapter 7. Really, 1 Corinthians chapter 7 is uh, one of the most central passages in all of the Bible regarding issues surrounding um, marriage. And so the rest of this chapter uh, that we're going to look at, just the last 15 verses of it, uh, are connected, obviously, to the previous discussion um, regarding Christian marriage and being married to a non-believer. But now Paul's going to begin to answer another question that the Corinthians had for him. <clears throat> and that was regarding single people in the church. Uh, the question was something like, you know, should a Christian get married? What about um, the women in our church who are getting on and they're a little bit older and not getting any younger and they're not married? Or what about, you know, parents who have daughters who are approaching the age of where it's appropriate for them to get married. You know, must a Christian get married was almost the question here that we're going to kind of wrestle through this morning. Um, I guess as we come to this text, I mean, one of the things that we know, in, we know and see in Scripture is that Jesus actually never addressed that question or that topic. And so as Paul comes to this subject, he says, I'm, I'm going to give you my counsel as one whom has been entrusted with um, you know, instruction from the Lord who's been taught by the Lord, who by God's mercy has been found trustworthy to teach. But 
I don't have a specific command in regards to this subject. So he says in verse 25, now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. Now, as we come to this text, I, this is kind of these, one of these sort of strange places in scripture. You're like, wow, well, it's not a command. What, you know, how do, we, how do we respond to Paul's teaching? How do we receive it? And I, I would say this, just because Paul says, I'm not giving you a command in this area, that does not mean by any means should we no less look at this and go, this is not inspired. What he, what he is saying here is still inspired uh, by the Holy Spirit. And so he dives into this conversation dealing with life situations in a way we're going to see that differ from person to person. And there isn't a blanket or a, a pat answer that you can just give to that question. And so Paul is going to kind of hit it from different angles and not give a command, but he will give Holy Spirit inspired advice or instruction. And he says to this church, I think that in view of the present distress, it's good for a person to remain as he is. So in Corinth, there was some sort of distress going on that we're not privy to as we read this letter. We can only guess what it might have been. Maybe, you know, in my mind, sort of two things come to the forefront of my mind. If I think, what was the distress happening in Corinth? Um, possibly for believers, there were economic implications for serving Jesus Christ. That was a common thing for first century believers that when they made a confession of faith and began to follow Jesus Christ, they paid for it in their work or in their finances or whatever situation they found themselves in. Maybe there was some sort of distress where Paul said, yeah, it might be just easier for you to stay in the situation that you're in. Another I think good guess and probably even more likely was that there was persecution happening against the church in Corinth. And if it was persecution that he was referring to as this distress, uh, I would say no doubt if you're being persecuted for your faith in Jesus Christ, there's some certain benefits to being single, uh, to not being married. You know, there's many stories um, throughout church history where Authorities imprison a believer and they try to force maybe that person to renounce their faith and wives and children are taken as uh, collateral or as a, as a way to try and force some recantation or something like that and to motivate the persecuted person to denounce their faith. I would say, you know, it's one thing to be persecuted or to be tortured for your faith. If it was me for, let's say for instance, it's a whole nother thing if that involves my wife and my children. And so I think likely that's what Paul was referring to. You know, if you're single and you're in that state, in light of the distress that's going on in your, in your city, you might want to stay in that particular uh, situation because in that sense, there is an advantage uh, to the single life, certainly in the face of persecution. And so Paul's instruction was in light of the current distress, it's good for a person to remain as he is. He says in verse 27, are you bound to a wife? 
do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. Let's kind of separate those. Are, are you bound to a, a wife? Do not seek to be free. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, the first half of chapter 7 that we tackled a couple weeks back, we, I called that message, Bloom Where You're Planted. And throughout this chapter, Paul teaches and then he echoes the principle that we should stay in the position in life uh, where God has us. Right, right where he has us, we should learn to be content in that spot and not try to be quick to, to change the place where God has stationed us. But learn to serve him where we are. Whether we're single or married or whatever that looks like. Whatever your matrimonial state. And so Paul says, are you bound to a wife? Then don't seek to be free. Goes the door, slam. <laughs> Heard that coming. Spent enough time in here. <laughs> um, you know, I think about this idea are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. We think about our culture, about the world that we live in, and the attitude that it has, ad has adopted in regards to marriage, and the attitude it has adopted in regards to its solution for marriage. And it's like this. When it's tough, get out. When it's tough, uh, pull the pin. And we think the solution to get is to get out. And we fail to recognize that God wants to use us and God wants to work right in the midst of the situation where you find yourself today. God's interested in your life today. And, and God uses our, our spouses, our marriage partner, to sanctify us and to bring about in us the character of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we could say throughout chapter 7, there's been this theme of bloom where you're planted. And so the solution is not to get out. The solution is to become more like Christ. The solution is, is that Christ always have first place in whatever situation uh, you find yourself. And the solution is, is to become more like Christ in your attitude and in your action towards your spouse and, and in your marriage. So he says, are you bound to a wife? Don't seek to be free. Then he says, are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. He says this, if you're single, then you don't need to strive to find a spouse. That word seek, he says, do not seek, actually means this, to be frantic and obsessive in your searching. That in your desire for a spouse, for a husband, for a wife, you let that, that thought and that desire and that activity dominate your thoughts and, and fill your days. You know, there's a powerful picture in the book of Genesis uh, in regards to Adam and Eve and the way that God brought Adam a spouse, a wife. When did God bring Eve to Adam? Do you recall? What was he doing? He was sleeping, actually. Remember, God put, put him into a rest. He was resting. He had certainly come to this place where I think he was experiencing loneliness he, he had named the animals. He had looked around and seen that amongst all of God's creation, there was not uh, an appropriate partner for him. I'm sure he was lonely. I'm sure he could recognize there's no one suitable here for me in the midst of all of these animals. 
Maybe you feel like that in your search for a spouse. I don't know. Um, but it was while Adam was resting in God that God put him into a state of rest that a spouse was brought to him, which is a neat picture. Resting in the Lord. And so Paul says, look, don't, don't seek a wife. I would say this, learn to rest in God. Learn to serve God in the spot he, he has you because Jesus has called us. And you know what? Jesus in his instruction said what? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things. I'll look after. I'll provide for you. And that's what our call is, is to seek, seek the kingdom, seek his righteousness, and the Lord will look after our needs. Seek him, to rest in him. You know, a beautiful thing about the Lord is this, is that he is aware of your needs. He's aware of your relational needs. And God wants to make a provision for those. It reminds me of the words of Jeremiah from Lamentations. He said this, The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good for those who wait for him. To the soul that seeks him, it is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. And for, for those who are single and desiring a spouse, the instruction here is this. Don't be frantic. Don't seek like crazy. Don't let that be your all-consuming thought. Serve God where he has you. Rest in him and watch his provision for you. Paul says in verse 28, lots of single people here with all the Barnabas people today and... Verse 28, but if you do marry, you have not sinned. That's good to know. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles. And I would spare you of that. Look, marriage is good. Paul says, I'm not going to forbid marriage. The scripture says, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and receives favor from the Lord. But the reality is, is this. Look at it. Those who marry will have troubles. You just ask my wife. You know, some people like me get it really good when they get married. Other people like my wife have different challenges. Okay? Maybe you, I think your spouse might be thinking the same thing. I don't know. But, you know, it, Paul felt, I guess, especially for himself, that there were certain advantages for him in terms of, of being single. And yet he understood this. Each person has their own gift from God. And so that's why I said earlier, and, and we'll see through this passage, he doesn't give a blanket pat, pat answer here. There's no cookie cutter mold for this. Um, each person has their gift from God. And if it's the single life, if that's what God has gifted you with, then here it comes. If anybody opens that again, use the wedge, okay. Um, if it's a single life that God has gifted you with, then you should see that as a gift from him and you should work to be content and serve him where he has you. And if the gift that God has given you is the married life and you have a spouse, then you should see that as a gift that God has given you and you should serve him where he has you. Bloom where you are planted. Now, if it's marriage, the reality is this. That involves two imperfect people, right? Two, two sinners. And 
when you're married, you know that there are, there are days of great joy, but there are also days of struggle and difficulty. There are days uh, where marriage is, is wonderful, but marriage inherently brings struggle because you're dealing with two sinners and life can be challenging. Amen. You know, you could even have the most wonderful marriage and then something changes, like you experience a tragedy together as a couple or you go through financial hardship, you lose a job, something happens to one of your children. I mean, there are so many variables when you consider what could happen in a marriage. And so this idea is, is wherever you are, serve God where he has you. And I would say this, you know, I think one of the things that Paul is pointing to, and we're going to see this more clearly, I'm going to push this as we cruise through this, is this discussion. Does Jesus Christ have first place in your life? Uh, And for him, that's one of the advantages that he sees of living the single life, that you can serve Jesus Christ with less distraction. But if you're married, there's no reason that Jesus has to take back seat. There's no reason that Jesus needs to be second place. And if Jesus, you know, if marriage would cause you to put Jesus in the back seat or the passenger seat or to take second place, if marriage will distract you from serving Jesus Christ, then Paul is essentially saying this, it's better you don't marry. And so much of this discussion from Paul is really about this one thing. Does Jesus Christ hold the position of first place in your life? That's what matters. That's what counts. And for Paul, the matter of Jesus having first priority was everything. That was it. That was the whole shebang for him. That was the whole kitten caboodle, the whole ball of wax. To him, it was so important that he said, I've learned to live as Christ and to die as gain. Everything is about Jesus having first place for me, Paul said. And that is the question for us this morning. Whatever situation you find yourself in today, maybe you're coming out of a broken relationship. Maybe you're married. Maybe you're single. Maybe you're going to get married. Whatever your situation is, whatever the past is, the past is the past. Does Jesus Christ have first place today in your situation? Paul says this in verse 29. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none. Paul says time is important when we consider this whole conversation. The time is short. That life is a vapor. That our lives are a, are a blink in the eye of eternity. That as the scripture says, the, the wind blows and the grass fades and the wind blows and the flower falls, right? The psalmist said, teach us to number our days so that we may gain gain a heart of wisdom. And the reality is this. We don't know if, I don't know if I'll live long into old age and, you know, go to the grave that way or whether the trumpet will sound today and Jesus will call us home. But either way, the approaching of God's coming, the Lord's returning, is is nearer today than it was yesterday. Nearer now than it was a few minutes back. 
And Paul is challenging the church here to live with a heart that is focused on eternal matters, whatever state you find yourself in, single or married or whatever it is. And so Paul begins to here identify a few challenges that, that we face as individuals, that we face as a church that stop us from investing in eternity. Uh, one of them is this topic of relationships. He says, let those who have wives live as though uh, they had none. Relationships. Relationships affect how you live for eternity. You know, there are people who miss out on being engaged in the work of the kingdom of God because instead they give their priority to relationships in their lives. Maybe their marriage. Maybe their prospective spouse or whatever it is. You know, there's lots of people in life um, who have gone through things where maybe at some point in their lives they sense God's call. They sense God was calling them maybe the mission field, some sort of work of the ministry, some way where God was calling them to serve him. And they said, I, I can't go serve because I'm, first I'm going to get married and then when I get that sorted out, I'll go serve. And then they have a baby and they say, well, we'll just wait till we get the baby out of diapers and then we'll, we'll go serve. We'll go do this when the circumstance changes and it gets like this. We'll do it. And then they reach that point and then there's another obstacle and another obstacle and another obstacle and the reality is this is they put their relationships ahead of serving where God has called them to serve. And maybe that's the marriage. And if you're waiting, you know, as you consider this, if you're waiting for the perfect circumstance, for the stars to just align right and perfectly for your relationships before you choose to serve Christ and answer his call, I'll tell you this, it will never happen. We need with an eye on eternity to begin to serve God right in the place where he has us today. Choose this day whom you will serve. Are you single? Then serve Jesus Christ. Are you married? Then serve Jesus Christ right where he has got you. Start today with an eye on eternity. Get beyond your relationship and in, get engaged in something bigger than yourself and your relationships. The kingdom of God and God's plans for eternity. And with that in mind, let, let me be clear on this. In his instruction, Paul's not encouraging that you neglect your family. He's not, he's not saying, you know, leave your house and ignore your wife and all that kind of stuff. Neglect your marriage responsibilities. But he is encouraging us to give Jesus Christ first place and to live with a priority and an understanding that time is short, that there is a limited opportunity to serve God in the spot where he has you. And that means we should live with a value system that doesn't just think of our family, that doesn't just think of our marriage, that doesn't just think of our personal circumstance, but that also has its eye on eternity and it serves the kingdom of God. Our relationships affect how we live for eternity. Another thing he says is in verse 30, he says this, uh, those who mourn as though they were not mourning and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing. Here's another obstacle for living for eternal things and with a priority of eternity. Your own emotions. 
human emotions. And we have a culture that has the eye disease, not this eye, this eye. I, I, myself, and me. We live for ourselves within our culture. And, you know, with living in a culture that is so self-centered, so focused on ourselves, I mean, just, just that thought to me is discouraging and depressing. I, I had an interesting conversation with somebody this week, and I, and I don't remember who it was, but we were just small talking, and they said this, and I don't know if it's factual, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell it to you because uh, I thought it was really interesting. But they said that, um, I, and I think it's probably likely quite true, that in Amish communities, you know, the Amish, that depression is basically unheard of, and the fact is attributed to um, the work ethic that they have for the community. That there's so much work to do, and they're always serving each other that there's basically no time to be depressed and discouraged. Isn't that interesting? I, I thought, wow, I don't know if that's true, but I, it's certainly fascinating because I, there is something depressing and discouraging about making yourself the subject of all of your thoughts and the focus of your life. Does Jesus Christ have first place and are we living for eternity? And Paul said elsewhere, no, learn to weep uh, with those who weep and rejoice with those who are rejoicing. Instead of living for yourself, Get involved in others' lives. Get, the, get your life focused on other people rather uh, than yourself. And, and it's a freeing thing to, you know, that's just the reality. It's a freeing thing to get your eyes off of yourself. What affects Jesus Christ having first place? Our relationships, our emotions. Verse 30, he continues. He gives us another one. And those who buy as though they had no goods. And those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. So here's another obstacle that stops people from living for eternal things and for the value of God's kingdom. And it's this, it's their possessions. You know, if you get caught up in the things that you own and your investment portfolio or your toys, whatever it is, they can preoccupy you and so distract you from eternity and investing in the, the kingdom of God and being about the work of the ministry. We should be wise stewards with our finances and with our possessions, but they should not preoccupy us. They're second place. Jesus Christ gets first place. That's why tithing is so important. Um, you know, I'm glad the assistant pastor got to talk about tithing a couple weeks back. I heard he hit you guys hard. I wasn't here that Sunday. Pastor always likes that when the assistant pastor does that. <laughs> um, look, tithing is important. When you put your money in the offering, you're giving up something of yourself. Your stinginess, your self-centeredness, your short-sightedness. Live for eternity, whether it's your relationships, your emotions, or your possessions. See, God wants us to be free. And that's really, that's really one of the points here that, that Paul is driving home. Seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness is freeing. When Jesus has first place in your life, it's very freeing. And the question is this. Does Jesus have first place in your relationships? Does Jesus have first place in regards to your emotions? 
Does Jesus have first place in regards to your possessions? And may the Lord make us a people who live with those eternal perspectives that say that stuff comes second. That's what Paul said in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Offer yourself to God in everything. And Paul says, and the reason why is that the, the present form of this world is passing away. John said this, that the world is passing away along with its desires, but the, whoever does the will of God abides forever. The will of God is what matters. Serving him. Verse 32, Paul says this, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord. How to please the Lord. So look, it's, it's just a reality that when a person doesn't have family responsibilities, when they don't have marriage responsibilities, they're more free to serve God. Uh, that's why for Paul, you know, he for himself, his own personal life, preferred to be unmarried. You know, it reminds me a little bit of the story, just this whole concept of Mary and Martha. You know the story of Mary and Martha, that, that Jesus came to that town of Bethany and Martha brought Jesus to her house um, as her guest. And her sister Mary was there. And while Martha was going about the work of serving and she was distracted by serving, Mary sat at Jesus' feet and she listened to him while he taught. And finally, at some point during the preparation for the meal in her frustration, Martha went to Jesus and she said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me and I'm serving alone? Tell her to help me. And you know what Jesus said? Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. And Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. You know, in life, there are so many things that can... <clears throat> bring you anxiety. Isn't it true? <clears throat> I mean, particularly these things that Paul's talking about, relationships, possessions, your emotions. Uh, we could even be distracted like Martha by much serving. And Paul's heart was um, that we be free from anxiety. In fact, that he, he uses this word that, that we would only have one anxiety and it's this. How can I serve God? How can I please God? That should be the one anxiety that, don't you wish that was just the one anxiety that dominated all your thoughts? <laughs> How can I serve God? And that's what God's desire for us and Paul's desire is. Verse 33. But the married man is anxious about worldly things. How to please his wife. So, of course, the married man tries to please his wife. The wife tries to please her husband. Look it. It's normal. It's natural. Paul's not saying that it's wrong. He's just stating a fact, okay? He doesn't call it sin here or anything like that. It's not, it's not that it's wrong. That's the way it should be. If you're married, you should be concerned about pleasing your spouse. Amen? Wives, spouses say that. I don't know. Um, you know, there's something wrong if you're married and you don't care about pleasing your spouse. 
There's something wrong with that. You should be concerned about that. And Paul elsewhere, you know, when he teaches regarding marriage, like in Ephesians, he says, husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church. Learn to lay down your, your life. It, it, it's good for us to serve one another and to please one another. And he's just stating a fact. He's showing the freedom that there can be in the single life. He says in verse 34, speaking of the married man, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or the betrothed is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint on you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. So look, Paul is just making it clear that the important thing is to put Jesus Christ first. And so in answer to his question, should Christians marry? Paul by no means forbids marriage. He takes the opportunity to encourage the church to live with an eternal perspective. He's not putting a leash on anyone. Um, this is a man who is he's speaking from his own personal experience. He's sharing from his heart. And he realized that the most important thing a person can do in their life is to live to please God. That Christ be first. And if you can please God more by living the single life, then God bless you. Live the single life. And if you can please God more by living the married life, then God bless you. Live the married life. That's essentially what he's saying. You know, there's a neat picture in the scripture of a woman who modeled this perfectly. She's in the New Testament. Her name is Anna. She was a prophetess. Uh, advanced in years, the Bible says. And she had um, lived as a virgin, got, got married, and then her husband passed away. And she uh, lived as a widow until she was 84 years old. And the Bible says in, in Luke chapter 2 that she did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And when Jesus was brought to the temple um, to be circumcised and to, for his parents, uh, Mary and Joseph, to present offerings to the Lord, Anna came up and recognized that Jesus was not an ordinary child. She gave thanks to God and the scripture says that she began to speak to all who were there who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. You know, you think about Anna, she didn't panic about her single state. She realized that her position provided her with a certain opportunity to serve God without distraction. She was able to go to the temple night and day and worship and, and pray, and she didn't have concerns about making meals or worrying about her husband or her children or this or that. She was... And, and as she was able to serve God, she was given special revelation from the Lord. One of only two people in the scripture who recognized that the baby in Mary's arms was no ordinary child. And she hung out at the temple day and night because there in the presence of God, she found all that she was needing from the Lord. Her desires were met in the Lord. And what, is an, what an example she is of someone who used singleness to serve God in the spot where she found herself. You know, you think about it, there are church denominations that have 
insisted that their clergy take vows of celibacy. Even if that person's not called to such a life. There are other churches that will not ordain or trust single people to do, to do ministry work. And the scripture actually never pigeonholes into either one of those two spots. Paul does not do that in this teaching. He doesn't put any noose around anyone's neck. He says this, whatever state you're in, whatever spot you're found, serve God in the place where he has put you. That's the spot where he wants you. And he can change your circumstance anytime. Bloom where you're planted. Serve God where he has you. Let me ask you this this morning. In this state that you are in life, how can you live to please God? In this state that you are in, how can you live to please God? Now serve him accordingly. Verse 36 says, If anyone thinks he's not behaving properly toward his betrothed, if his passions are strong and it has to be, let him do as he wishes. Let them marry. It's no sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control, and has determined this in his heart to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. What does God want? What's Paul's heart for the church? The undivided devotion of God's people to serve God. And all of this is good advice from Paul. I, I like it because, you know, he doesn't command everyone to do the same thing. Don't you like that about God? It's like, I'll gift you and I'll bless you and things can be diverse and they can be different and people's situations can be unique. You serve God where he has you. And not following Paul's advice does not amount to sin. Each person's situation is unique. You know, I, I, I think about this and I think, man, what, what is my relationship to the world? I, I, I just want to serve God where he has me. See, everything in the world to serve the Lord, married or singled, married or single, but, but detached from this world, detached, living with a heart for eternity because the earthly life is temporary and it's passing away. And Paul's instructions is that we would be free from anxieties, free from the concerns of this present life so that we can be consistent in our devotion to God. And so, you know, being unmarried, that, that's a desirable state for serving God. But it's not intrinsically better. So I think, you know, with Paul's instructions, we need to appreciate the realities of both situations or circumstances. Um, I cringe for a second. I was waiting for the door. <laughs> not a prophet, nor the son of a prophet, but... <laughs> um, you know, this is simply the difference between good and better. That's what it is. It's the difference between good and better. It's, it's just the spot where God has called you. And Paul is saying, live for what is better. It says in verse 39, A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes. She wishes. 
only in the Lord. Yet in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is. And I think I too have the spirit of God. So look again, he just reinforces the legitimacy of, of marriage. The decision is not a decision of what's right and wrong. The decision is a decision between singleness and, and married, a decision of what is good versus what is better. And Paul says this, women should not separate from their husband. You know, scripture says this, God hates divorce. God hates divorce. It's never his first choice. Marriage in the heart and the mind and the design of God is something that is binding and lifelong and lasting. And I would say in the context of this conversation, it's especially important for single people to consider that. Because he's talking about this single or married. To keep this in mind, to have this at the forefront of your mind. If I am going in, if God has led me into this good thing and this is my gift, then this is lifelong and I better consider it hard before I jump in with two feet. Paul specifically says in regards to this conversation, do not be unequally yoked in the sense. He says, only you're free to marry whomever you wish, only in the Lord. He's addressed this as we've talked about in previous weeks and he repeats this, this principle. You're free to marry, but only in the Lord. Do not be unequally yoked. And so whether single, married, widowed, the idea is be content where you are. Serve God in whatever, whatever position he's placed you. Make Jesus Christ your passion. Warren Wearsby uh, went through this passage and he just pulled out five questions and I thought they were good. I thought I'd just share them with you. Um, five questions if someone is considering marriage. First one, what is my gift from God? Number two, am I marrying a believer? Number three, are the circumstances of such a marriage right? Number four, how will marriage affect my service to Christ? Number five, am I prepared to enter into this union for life? Great questions. You know, the world is passing away. It's passing away. And the subject is eternity. Living for eternity. Giving Jesus Christ first place. You know, on Tuesday nights, I meet with a group of guys and we've been doing some discipleship stuff and we were sharing our testimonies the other night and it just struck me as I was hearing a testimony as a person shared about life before Jesus Christ, how they lived with a fear of death and they wondered about their eternity and how when Jesus Christ came into their life, we had a discussion how that changed. That fear of death, that fear of what would happen when they died, what eternity looked like, transformed because of Jesus Christ being in their lives. The world is passing away. And I guess I, I want to leave you with this thought this morning 
How are you living for eternity? Does Jesus Christ have first place? And for anybody here that doesn't know Jesus Christ and you haven't invited Jesus Christ into your life to be your, your Lord and Savior, to give you the gift of eternal life, it's a gift that God gives when we confess Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. What are you living for? What are you living for? And has that fear of what happens when you die gripped you? Look at Jesus Christ will set you free of that when you surrender your life to him. The greatest gift for a believer is to know that you have eternal life. And Paul wants us to live with that value, to live with eternity, with Jesus Christ as first place at the forefront of our minds. Let's pray this morning. I'm going to invite you guys to stand with me. And I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up here.